Hey guys, welcome to the Talk Around Town with Ty. Happy to be back here once again. Today's segment is going to be more about me and my life. And I'm going to give you guys a little bit about my story, about my history and where I come from and what my upbringing was like. But first I'm going to start off with a prayer. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes wherever we at. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I come to you, and I come to you humble, and I come to you thankful for allowing me to have another day of life, allowing my family to woke up, my friends, and those that are listening, Father God. I ask that you bless everyone that is sick from the coronavirus, God, I ask that you heal, and I ask that you mend fences with anybody that may be holding hurt for someone else, Father God, and I ask that you bless not just my life and not my family, but the nation right now that's dealing with this coronavirus, Father God. Bless those that have lost someone to the virus, Father God. And bless those that are dealing with this virus right now, Father God. I ask that you give them peace and I ask that you give them strength, Father God. And I ask that you to bless those that may be having anxiety right now, Father God, or in depression behind this pandemic, Father God. Give them strength and give them peace, Father God, that they will not perish in their minds nor in the natural, Father God. I give you praise and honor and glory, and I ask that you bless each and every person under the sound of my voice as I tell my story. I give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. We say, Amen. So yeah, so basically, I wanted to give you guys a rundown about my life story, where I come from, and um, the things that I've endured throughout my um, childhood till my adult life. So I was born in Kansas City, Missouri in 1983 to a mother Deborah and a father Curtis and a year and a half later I had a sister that was born and I'm in California now so how I ended up in California is at the age of seven my dad moved to California to be with his mother and to get a better job to help take care of us by this time my mom has six kids So at 25 years old, my mother took us on a bus ride, Greyhound, as a matter of fact, from Kansas City, Missouri to Los Angeles. And I remember it being a long bus ride, days that I think it was about three or four day bus ride. And I remember just seeing all the different landmarks as we drove in the bus and then I remember we got to California, and this is 89 when we moved to California. I remember going to my grandmother's house, which I always loved and adored, because she was such a wise, like, cool, laid-back lady. And she was always in church, really spiritual woman of God, and she was just the coolest, and this is my dad's mom. So we get to Cali, and I remember getting to my grandmother's house, like I said, and I remember seeing all my cousins just feeling, like, super excited. And I remember my cousins asking us and we knew how to dance because that was something that we do in our culture, in our African-American culture. Dancing is a thing. So one of the first things I remember one of my cousins asking me was, did I know how to dance? And it was so funny because I'm like, yeah, I know how to dance. And then our story sprung from there. We stayed with our grandmother for a little while until we were able to branch out. And my dad made enough money because he was working at the post office to get us our own place. And then we ended up getting into our own place. And things seemed to not been, it was like the best that we've ever had at that time. My dad was working. My mom was taking care of us well. We had a nice apartment. 
uh, bought a two-bedroom at the time. We've only always ever had a two-bedroom. We never had a bigger place than a two-bedroom. Um, maybe once when I was younger. Um, but nevertheless, we had a two-bedroom apartment. And it was really nice. My parents had fixed it up really nice. My dad was working. My mom was taking care of us. And I was about like seven years old at the time. Um, probably about eight years old by that time, actually. And so... Things were just going good for us. My dad was working. My mom was taking care of us at home because she was a, she was a stay-at-home mom. She didn't go to work or whatever. She stayed at home and she took care of us. And then we had some issues when we were in Kansas City, but things had been you know doing really well in California, and things were looking up. Well, my dad ended up losing his job, and I remember he went back to hustling because that's what he did before. My dad has always been a hustler. From the time I can remember, when I say hustler, my dad was like city, city slick Chicago guy. He was really big into gambling. He could shoot dice, play cards, any type of gambling that that was like illegal. You name it, my dad was good at it. Scheming, you know, he was a real, real well dressed, fast talking, Chicago city slick type of individual, but. You could never tell me anything negative because he was my like my world at the time. He was like the first man I ever was in love with. And I'm not saying that in a negative standpoint, but you know, your a, a girl's father is the first man that she ever sees, that she ever knows. And he sets the tone on how she loves most of the time and what she is looking for in a man. Usually the father sets the tone. So he was the first man I ever loved, like I said. And so, basically, when my dad had lost that job, I remember we were still living in an apartment, but we were struggling, and my dad had an addiction to women as well as marijuana. He drank, but he wasn't a super big drinker like that. But the fast life, living a certain way and looking a certain way, my dad was very much so fascinated by the way that he dressed, the way he kept his hair the kind of cars he drove. He was very fascinated with those things. So with those kind of things and that type of lifestyle, women come. So I believe he probably cheated on my mom the whole time. He could say different, but as far as I can remember, my mom was always talking about him cheating and she was always really frustrated and, and like really sad and uncomfortable because she felt like she knew my dad was cheating on her, but yet she loved him so much and they had so much history. She didn't ever want to leave the situation. So she stayed with him because it was all she knew. And she came to California by herself at only 25, 26 years old with six children and no family. So he was all she had to lean on. And so basically as time progressed, things started to get more serious we started to go through more things because at this particular time I'm about eight now and I hadn't even ever been to school I didn't go to kindergarten didn't do any preschool no first grade no second grade so by this time I should probably be like in third grade it's third grade when you're about like eight years old hadn't went to school my cousins went to school friends in apartment complex went to school but my mom kept us out of school and she would stop sometimes and she would try to teach us small things like around the house but yet we were not at the level that we should have been 
for the ages that we were, those of us that were school ages. You know, I couldn't read like that, and I wrote okay. And even to this day, my writing is terrible, but I wrote enough that you could understand, but it still was, like, really bad because, again, we didn't go to school, and we weren't taught how to write and how to read, you know, from a schoolhouse or or the correct way for my mom. So we were fully behind. And I want to say at this particular time, we were living in uh, Pacoima. And then we ended up moving from this particular apartment complex. And we ended up in a position where we were in hotels. At one point, we had moved to Bakersfield, California. And we ended up staying a weekly because we ended up going out there and thinking we were going to go stay with somebody. And then the person that we were supposed to go stay with, I guess my dad's friend, uh, something happened and he, we weren't able to stay with them. And we stayed in weeklies for like a couple years, um, actually in Bakersfield. And it was definitely a different experience. And we were with our parents and the weeklies would have two beds. So the most of us would be in one bed and my mom and dad and then would be in another bed. And you're just happy to have your family and just to be together. So even though it was a big, hard situation, we didn't really see it as such. We was with our mom and our dad. But I always knew something wasn't right by the way that we were living. And then again, my dad was heavy into the streets. and He was into women and into looking nice and into gambling. And he tried his best to take care of us. But neither one of my parents had even a high school school diploma. They both were dropped out of high school at a very early age. I think my dad might have dropped out of maybe like 10th grade. My mom might have dropped out probably like 10th grade as well. Like no more ninth to 10th grade. Neither one of them had no more than ninth to 10th grade education. So, I mean, how do they take care of, you know, kids? And at this particular time, let me go back and tell it, it was eight of us now. We went from six to eight because we had two more kids when we first got to California. My mom had a six-month-old, and then a year and a half later, my mom got pregnant again. And then in a year and a half after that, she got pregnant again. So within a two-and-a-half-year span, it was two more kids, so that made eight. And then she went on to have two more, which made ten. And so we ended up with ten kids. So I'm the eldest of ten. So anyways, at this particular time, we're in motels, and I'm like just tripping out in my head because every time my mom and dad get into this huge argument about my dad not being there and about him not doing right, him and my mom would have this one day where they were cool. And as crazy as it may seem, I knew that they were having sex and I knew that they would end up making another baby. And I would be so upset every time I found that she was pregnant again because when she got pregnant, I would have to be the one to have to step up to the plate and help take care of these children And I really wasn't the kind of kid that got to play outside. I really never had a child's life. I was pulled off the porch early. I'm not sure if you guys know the concept when a man would say that a person either can be snatched off the porch or they jump off the porch early, you know, when when it comes to life. And I was snatched off the porch at an early age. I had to grow up really fast. I didn't want to, but that was the cards that I was dealt, so that's what I had to do. So with that being said, my mom would keep having babies, and I would have to be in position to help with those babies. And so we're living in motels, barely having enough to eat, because my dad is, you know, doing whatever he's doing. 
We, there's only so much we can have at a time because we're in a motel, so they only have small refrigerators. We didn't have like a huge refrigerator. We had like a smaller refrigerator, so we had to eat a lot of, buy a lot of things like that day and then cook it because there wasn't enough room to buy like a whole lot of food or whatever. And I just remember like, dang, like what is going on with us? I just never understood. And I wanted to go to school. I wanted to have friends. And I knew some people that lived in the motel because we weren't the only kids that lived in the motel. But I knew that our lives wasn't normal. And then by this time, I'm probably like 10. And my mom and dad, things are just getting worse and things are getting worse. And one time we ended up in a position where we were, we slept at a park one night. And then that next, very next day when we woke up, it was eight of us at this time, and we slept at a park. Nine of us at this time. Now, take that back. It's nine of us now. And we ended up sleeping at this park. And then the next day, I remember our mom and dad just was walking, walking, and we ended up finding this church. And we went and they told them the story about what was going on with us. So they ended up helping us, and they ended up putting us in a motel. Well, then they had hooked us up with their sister church, which was more Caucasian-based, white, whatever you want to call it, um, church. Um, Catholic I believe and I remember this lady Cindy they hooked us up with her and our information we gave her information to her she gave us hers and she ended up helping us get into an apartment and this is all in Bakersfield California and then she ended up helping us get into her apartment for about like six months she was helping us get on our feet and then we ended up moving into a house she helped us get a house and she took our mom to take us to get shots. And we have had shots, like our immunizations, like so many times. I think I'm immune to probably every measles, mumps, any type of any type of those type of um, childhood illnesses. I think that me and my, my siblings were immune to them because we hardly got anything, hardly ever got sick. We weren't ever really going to doctor's appointments and things like that. My mom pretty much fixed everything at the house for the most part. Um, it was so crazy. So we ended up getting our shots and getting things together and we got enrolled in school. And so for the first time I went to school and I started school in the fourth grade and I was super behind and super scared and embarrassed because I couldn't read and I didn't understand nothing about the textbooks. And it's so crazy because I don't know how our mom allowed us to go to school and have us in our right classes, but never told them that we had never been to school before. So with us never being to school, how am I supposed to understand these textbooks or what's going on in the class? So I just basically sat in class and didn't say anything and didn't really do anything because I didn't understand what it was that I was reading. I didn't understand any of the stuff that I was looking at. So it was a very embarrassing, hard time for me. And I really didn't want to be there because I really wasn't familiar with it. I didn't understand it. I just felt really stupid. So nevertheless, that lasted only. I may have went to school for maybe three weeks straight. And that didn't last very long because at this particular time, my dad would be leaving. He would be running the streets again. Then my mom would start back leaving. And she's running the streets. And a lot of times she would try to go and be looking for my dad, but she ended up getting intertwined with some people that weren't good, and then she ended up on drugs. And so with her ended up on drugs, of course, our vision now is clouded, and now she's starting to make 
more mistakes than she's ever done, like leaving us at home a lot by ourselves. Now, mind you, ever since I was probably like five, I remember being left at home by ourselves a couple of times. So it wasn't nothing new to me to be in the house and have to help take care of my siblings when my mom and dad would be gone. I would be the person that would be the the second person up or the third person up that had to step up to the plate and make sure I maintained the kids. And I couldn't read nor could I write like I needed to, but I could take care of a child better than any grown person or anybody that you ever know. Like I knew how to take care of me and my siblings. I knew how to make sure that the stove was off. I knew how to make sure to keep the doors locked, not to let any strangers in. And I have to give my mom credit where credit is due because those are things that she installed in me, more so scared in me because she would always say like, if y'all open up the door, somebody's going to come and take all of y'all. Or if you talk to a stranger, they're going to kidnap you. Or if you sent the police something, y'all going to go to foster care. So she always told us things and it scared us. So we were scared to open up the door. We were scared to go outside. We were scared to do these things because we were worried about the consequences, thinking that we would go to foster care or we would get kidnapped or we could get raped because she would tell us everything. So we, my mom didn't hold back anything. So I want to say when I was about 12 years old, things just started getting worse. And we ended up living in this apartment. This man that my mom and them knew ended up subleasing us. And if you, for you guys that don't know what subleasing is, this person moved out of their apartment to go move somewhere else. And their lease wasn't up. So they basically told us we can go and stay there and took a little to nothing amount of money from my mom and my dad for us to stay there. But at the time, my dad was thinking it was just a regular situation. My mom didn't tell him all the details and we ended up going to stay in this apartment. Now at this time, it's 10 of us and we left Bakersfield and we back in Panorama City, um, California. We left Bakersfield, California at this time and we back in Panorama City. So we're staying in this apartment and it's another two bedroom apartment. And I remember one time my dad went to wash all our clothes and I guess he had left the clothes at the laundromat and he went somewhere and we came back. Somebody had stole all our clothes and we didn't have clothes to wear. We barely had shoes to wear. I mean, we were living in a hot mess of a situation. Then come to find out the manager found that we was there and then she was complaining about us being there because technically he was not supposed to sublease to us the guy that allowed us to come and stay in the apartment. So when the manager came, my dad ended up finding out we were subleasing. He was greatly upset about us subleasing at my mother because he's like, what are you doing? Like, you know, we can't do this. But the blessing was they ended up letting us stay there. But that's when our lives took a turn for the worse actually in the worst way like we already have been going through a lot but when we had moved in that apartment and they found that we was there my mom and dad already were really good at leaving us and doing their own thing my mom my dad would leave my mom would leave to fall out behind my dad but then my mom would be dealing with people like I said that she always met people that just weren't good but maybe they showed her love or whatever she needed because she had no family in California and at this time she's still quite young you know woman to have 10 kids and so at the time matter of fact excuse me she was pregnant she just no she just had had the 10th baby so baby is very young baby's not even six months old at this particular time she's probably like no more than like a month or so that we're in this particular apartment and so with that being said we're there and the manager steady saying things to my mom 
And I believe that they wanted us to leave, but the manager was trying to be lenient and allow us to stay in the apartment or what have you. And so they wasn't paying the rent like they were supposed to. We didn't have the necessary things that we needed to have. I think we had like a mattress on the floor and we had like a little small couch, but food was very scarce. So at the time, for a long time, not just at that particular time in our lives, we used to panhandle, we'd go out and we'd be asking people for stuff because we would be hungry and things. But in this particular building, my brothers and sisters got tired of being hungry. So they would go out and I used to, it became, became a time where I couldn't keep them in. And they would go out and they would ask people for stuff. And then people start to find out that we didn't have the things that we needed and that we were hungry and things like that. So again, I believe the manager of the building started to really recognize us and she started to really watch us. And when my parents would be leaving and sometimes my mom would stay gone for a day or so, day or two, then my dad would be gone longer than that. And we would be without food, you know, lots of times. And it would just be me in the house with all these kids trying to make things work out, trying to figure out how to put something together for us or what have you. And I remember um, my brothers and sisters would be asking neighbors and stuff for food. And there was this one Korean family in our apartment complex. They used to have snacks. They would have Bible study. And if you came to Bible study, you get to eat. So we would want to go to their Bible study because they had so much good food. It would be all this like Korean food. And we would go up over there and we would eat, 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 eat. We would go to the Bible study just so we could eat. I always believed in God, but that was truly the real reason why we was going up over there is because we were hungry. And so everybody in the building pretty much knew what was going on because we were wild and we was just running around. And most of the time I stayed in the house because I had to watch the younger kids. But every now and again, I snuck out the house because I was a kid and I wanted to be a kid. And I didn't get, a, I didn't get the opportunity to be that because I had to be like a second mom to my siblings. So we were in that apartment and then we ended up having to leave that apartment. And then when we left that apartment, we, we hadn't been gone not even a month. We was at my grandmother's house. My dad had took us to my grandmother's house. My grandmother's grandmother kept us over at her house for a few weeks. Then I guess my mom came down for what she was dealing with. And then she called her family, which came from Kansas City, Missouri. And her mom and my uncle ended up coming out. And they came to take us back to California. And this is about 1994 now. So this is February the 6th. February the 6th. The 7th. No, the 6th. 1994. And the very next day, my mom had came. Took us to a motel. My dad had came there. And my mom told us we were going to go back to Kansas City, Missouri with her family because you know my dad wasn't doing what he was supposed to do and she was trying to get herself together meaning she was trying to get off drugs and stop doing the things that she was doing and leave my dad and just go to Kansas City but of course my dad didn't want us to leave my dad didn't want to lose my mom and my dad didn't want to lose us but my dad still had his life so my parents ended up taking us to a motel when my mom did with her with her mom rather my dad ended up showing up, and I remember that day, which was <clears throat> February the 7th, 1994, 
my mom had got us up, me and my sister under me, I, that's a year and a half under me, her and I went with my mom to the county building, because since my mom didn't have an address, she would have to go there and pick up her check. So we ended up going to go pick up my mom's check, and then we were just getting out of the line and getting ready to leave to go back to the motel, and me being me, I was devastated because I didn't want to go to Kansas City because I didn't like the memories that I had from when I was in Kansas City, but I'm a kid, so I was keeping my mouth closed. And we look up and my dad was right there. My mom was like, what's going on? And my dad was like, the police came, social workers came to the motel and they took the other kids. So my mom was like, what? So they rushed up out of there. And then my dad, my mom ended up dropping us off at a friend of hers house, told us to sit there and just to stay with her friend until she figured out what was going on with the kids. And so hours passed. I don't know if you guys remember the song, and maybe you don't know it. If you don't know it, look it up. This, this TLC song is called Red Light Special. So basically, Red Light Special, that's the first time I ever heard that song. And that was the day that we got took. And I remember that day, our mom came back after a few hours later and told us she had to take us to the police station because otherwise they would call and neglect. And so she took us to the police station, and we got to see our other siblings. And at first, we was with my mom on the outside of the police station like in the waiting area the next thing you know they took us from my mom and they took us in the back and it was such a crazy experience because one by one two by two three by three they started gathering the foster parents and first my brothers left and it was three of them that went to the same house and then my two baby siblings my six month old and my one month old brother went to one house. My sister that was three and I was 12, her and I went to one house. And then my sister that's under me, her and my sister that was about like seven, they went to one house. So we were all separated. We all went to different homes. And that was beginning of my story in foster care. So think about it. My mom always told me about foster care and all these bad things. And then this became our reality. And I was so scared and so freaked out, I couldn't even believe it. And I'm gonna stop right here, and I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna finish this. I just wanna say thank you guys for listening to my story. Hope that you guys will tune in for the next segment, because I'm gonna finish this out. I thank you guys, God bless you guys, and have a good night. Hey guys, welcome back to the talk around town with Ty. And today's segment is going to be the part two of my story about my life story. The first, I'm going to start off with a prayer so everybody can bow their heads and close their eyes. Father God, I thank you for another day, another day of life, another day worth living that I'm in my right mind, clothed in my right body. Father God, I thank you for my children my family, Father God, all of my family, Father God, and my friends, Father God, my friends that are listening right now, Father God, the listeners, Father God, bless them and their families, Father God, anybody that may have came with a heavy heart, Father God, I ask that you use me to bring joy and peace to your people, Father God. Give me a rhema word, Father God, that I say the right thing, Father God, and me sharing my story will bless somebody, Father God, and would allow them to know, Father God, that what I've been through and what they're going through 
is something that will be one day, one day, a thing of the past, Father God, but to continue to give you joy as you give us peace and strength. I ask you to bless each and every person that's been infected by this coronavirus, Father God. Bless those, Father God, that has come in contact with somebody that has it, Father God, or somebody that has it in their family, Father God. I ask that you turn it around for your glory, Father God, and I ask that you heal the nation, Father God, heal the land. Father God, I thank you for all it is that you do and all that you have done, Father God, in my life, Father God, and bless each and every individual under the sound of my voice this day, Father God, and give them peace and strength like you've never done before, Father God, and allow them to endure another day, Father God. And we are going through something that's very serious, Father God, but allow them to know in their hearts, Father God, that it's not the end, Father God, and that you have the last say so, Father God. I be so careful to give you the praise, the honor, Honor in the glory in Jesus name we all say amen so like I was telling you guys hmm, this is the second part of my life story and this is the part where foster care begins but I want to go back and I want to actually correct some things that I said in the last podcast because as I sat back and I thought I gave you guys some incorrect information so a couple of things that I want to piggyback on was when I told you guys the date that we came into the system. We actually came in February the 7th, 1995. It was not 94. And also one of one part of the story I told you guys about when we got taken and we were placed in different foster cares. I have a six month old sister and she was the baby. And then above her was a brother that was one years old. And I had another brother that was about two at the time. He was about, excuse me, he was two at the time. So they all were placed in a home together. So nevertheless, this was the night after being in the police station for the last like four hours. This was at night now that they were placing us into various foster homes. And um, on the way to the foster home, I was livid and just devastated, but very quiet and calculated about my moves or what I said or what I done because I'm like, this is real. This is not a drill. This is the real thing. How are you going to handle this? So instantly at 12 years old, I had to grow up and I had to make sure that I took care of myself, but not only myself, my sister that was with me, that was only three years old. So we get to this house and I've only seen big houses on TV. We never lived in a big house. My grandmother in Kansas City had lived in a big house, but us personally, it's from, since I can remember, we always lived in apartments. We stayed in some motels and things like that. Well, we get to this big old house, this big old house, and it was about five bedrooms inside this home, something I've never seen before. And that part of it was kind of like excited because I thought the people that I was that I was staying with, my foster parents were like rich because I personally never seen anything like that in person. So I'm sorry we got interrupted. So where I left off was I was telling you guys about the part where we got to the foster home and I was like kind of excited about the house. And I was like, wow, we living in a this is like a mansion. But yeah, I was very quiet and calculated and I kept my sister very close because I didn't know these people. I know nothing about these people. And at 12 years old, I was scared out of my mind, but I couldn't show that I was scared because I didn't want them to think that I was weak. So I had to definitely continue to be quiet 
and watch everything calculated and just watching my surroundings and making sure I kept my sister close. So the next part was time for us to go to our room and she was showing us where we were going to be sleeping and she had a space for my sister and a space for myself and I asked her if it was okay that my sister stayed in a room with me because I didn't want her to be by herself because I know she was scared because I know if I was scared I know she was even more scared because she was only three years old so she really didn't know what was going on so I remember the very next day we woke up and we had to go downstairs to the table and eat now mind you we never really sat at the table and ate at my house we ate wherever we were at because we we had tables and stuff sometimes sometimes we didn't so we kind of ate wherever we were all sitting at the table and I never forget there was this guy that was there that had like some type of mental illness it was one of the family members and he was he had snot coming from his nose and I remember being so uncomfortable that I couldn't even eat because in my head I'm like how are they sitting here eating and they see this but it was because they were used to him and it was something that me and my sister weren't used to and so I'm gonna go forward from there with there it's time to get enrolled in school it's this is becoming real and so they enrolled me in school and then a couple of days later we ended up going to court to find out actually what was going to be going on as far as our case was concerned if we were going to be going home so when we get to court of course they had so much evidence against my mom them they actually had been having an investigation going on against my parents and at this particular time I can't remember exactly how long the investigation was going on but they they were investigating us for some time so they had strong evidence against my mom and dad and from the evidence that they had at 12 years old I knew it was going to be hard and I, I didn't I didn't know at the time that we weren't going back home but I knew it wasn't going to be something that was going to happen like overnight because prior to this time and I didn't tell you guys in this story but we had been taken from my parents before people have noticed that we were at home by ourselves in the motel or in the apartments and people have called the police in the past and we was taken before when I was probably like six and when I, when I was about six, it wasn't, well, obviously it wasn't 10 of us. We were taken and placed at the police station and we were allowed to be given back to my parents because in that time and in those cities, the way foster care was set up was different than um, it is. Every city and every state, excuse me, varies on how they handle. So when we got taken from my parents and placed into foster care in Bakersfield, California, we were taken and put inside of like a center that they kept the kids up until a year. And if your parents didn't come to get you guys back, then they would take you and you would be placed in individual foster homes and possibly even adopted. So we had been in situations like this before, but never in, in somebody's home that wasn't, you know, our parents. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, and if you hear any kind of mess in the background, I have kids. I'm a mother, so you might hear a different kind of noise, but I hope you can hear me clear. I don't like to have to go back and re-record these things. I want it to be genuine and authentic, so I want to give it to you exactly how it's in my heart 
and I want to give it to you right now. I don't have to wait and go back and forth and re-record because nothing's going to be perfect. So I just want to give you guys that for a disclaimer. So basically, that's where we're at. We are in this foster home. We go to court, find out we're going to have to come back to court. It's not going to be an easy thing for our parents to get us back. They had so much evidence against my parents to keep us until we graduated high school and got emancipated from the system. And for those of you that don't know what emancipated is, is when you are basically graduate from being in the system and you are let free from the system and you're doomed an adult at this particular time when you're emancipated, unless you got adopted. But I actually stayed in foster care until I was emancipated. So nevertheless, dealing with foster care was definitely an experience I have so much respect for my foster mom and me telling my story is not to place any kind of negativity on her because it was a blessing that she took me and my two siblings, well, my first sibling in, and then she ended up taking two more of my siblings down the line. But the experience in the household was definitely a very hard experience for a young girl that came from one thing and then ended up in something else that wasn't perfect because I didn't come from perfect. So what I dealt with and me staying there and going through the things that I went through is because what I knew was pain prior to, what I knew was dysfunction prior to, but what I came into was a different dysfunction than I ever could say that I've understood at that particular time. So I always woke up hearing a lot of negative things about us being foster kids. So early on, I grew a very hard core skin about being in foster care and vowed to myself that I would never tell anybody my business or my story because being in foster care was frowned upon and it made you feel like you were some type of disease or like you had a plague. So you didn't feel good about being in foster care because of the things that you heard in your own household about foster care and about the foster children. I remember one time my foster mom had some friends that came over and one of the ladies figured out we were foster kids and she didn't want her daughter to play with us as if though, if so, we were dirty and we were just as clean as they were. We were dressed just as nice as they were because my foster mom, we had clothes and we were clean. But because we had the title foster kids, they didn't want their children to associate with us. Almost like if they thought that something negative on us was going to rub off on their children. So you can imagine my feelings towards the situation. And again, for the long period of time, I was very quiet and I was always heard. I was I always heard. Uh, people say in the household, like, what's wrong with these kids? You know, she don't say nothing. She ain't, you know, she doesn't really say anything. And she's always, you know, in her own world, like something was wrong with me. So I started to take and believe that something might have been wrong with me because I wasn't, I wasn't developing um, the way that I should. I wasn't connecting to the situation as fast as they thought I probably should have. And I also had a foster dad that to this day is dear in my heart. He passed away back in 1999. Um, an accidental death, um, from what I remember. 
And so now, again, we're in this foster home and now I'm in school and come to find I'm in school and now they placed me in the sixth grade. But actually, technically, I was supposed to be in seventh grade because they had no record of me being in school because there was none. They couldn't really figure what grade I was in. So they just put me in a grade based off my age. And so I'm going to this class every day, barely able to read and write. And they're sitting in front of me, sixth grade curriculum that I have no clue on how to read the words, but it, the, at her cat, you know, the small things in the passages. And I'm, I'm trying to get me to do sixth grade work that I have no clue of how to do. So then the rebellious part of me start to kick in because I didn't understand the work. I wanted to understand. I wanted to participate because I had no clue of what I was doing or had no clue or understanding of the, of the curriculum that they've set in front of me. I just acted like, oh, I don't want to read or I don't want to answer that question out loud because I didn't know the answer. And it was not because I was stupid. It was because the lack of knowledge that I had because my mother didn't keep us in school and then put us in school and keep us in school the way we were supposed to. So we were deemed behind. And I want to say about four months into the situation, about six months into the situation, they finally found out that I was not reading or writing or was I on the level, I wasn't on the level that I was supposed to be on for being in the sixth grade. So then, boom, another thing happens. They take me out of my regular sixth grade class and they put me in a special ed class with special ed students. And nothing against special ed students, but I knew that I wasn't special ed. But because I wasn't taught in the correct manner and I didn't go to school the way that I was supposed to, the only way that I would be able to be taught in the right manner was to be in these classes because I didn't have classes for kids that just didn't go to school and that, that just wasn't taught. These were classes for most kids that had learning disabilities. So I had to be placed in the program with children that had learning disabilities when I didn't have a learning disability, but I wasn't taught properly and I didn't go to school. So I lived with embarrassment and I learned while I was in embarrassment because we didn't go to lunch with the regular kids we had our lunch at a certain time and I'm pretty much all the time ate my lunch in the classroom because I didn't want my other friends that I had met in the regular classes to know that I was in special needs classes. So then I started to learn and I started to pick up very fast on a curriculum that they were teaching me and they went back to the beginning because it was necessary for my situation. And I was picking up the reading really fast and I was picking up the math really fast and the English and things like that. So the teacher would always assure me like, there's nothing wrong with you. And there's nothing to say anything against those that do have learning disabilities, but you don't have a learning disability. It's just because you weren't taught. So she took a great liking into me and she helped me and it made me want to learn more because she was so thankful and just glad to have a student that wanted to learn. So it made her want to teach more. And she was so great with me. And I'm so 
bad with names. I can't remember her name right now. And I want to go back and I want to find her and I want to thank her because she made such a difference in my life. And by this time I'm in seventh grade and I'm doing very well for myself. And I remember having meetings and my foster mom would come and it would tell my foster mom how great I was doing. And the meetings were called IEPs because again, I was in a special needs program because they didn't have programs for my my particular situation. So I had this IEP that I had to go through where you would have to sit down with the teachers and the counselors and your foster parents and also the social worker would come out and they would discuss where your progress is at, what areas you needed help, why they believe these things happened or why things are the way that they are as far as your learning is concerned. And she reassured my foster mom and the social workers and everybody that was involved, like, oh, my God, this girl is smart. She really wants to learn. She's just been dealt some some bad cards, but she's here and she's willing and she's she's going and she's doing to the best of her ability every day. And she's getting better and greater in this situation. So eighth grade came. I ended up doing so well that I had a few of my special needs class classes still but also I was branched out to RSP which was a class that was more remedial so it was, it was higher up than the special needs class because now I'm getting closer to the level that I need to be so I'm doing very well in school at this time and I've had situations to where I literally was never raped by any man at my time in foster care. But I had not one, not two, not three, not four, but five different individuals that was connected to my foster family that tried to talk to me or have put their hands on me in a negative manner being the fact that they were grown men and I was a little girl they tried to either coerce me into sleeping with them or telling me the benefit of me dealing with them because once you got a foster care where are you going to go is what someone said to me one time what are you going to do if you mess with me I'll put you in your own place and I'll make sure you don't end up on the streets because when they stop paying here what are you going to do and where are you going to go and that's something that I listen to a lot once it was time for me to leave foster care, what was I going to do? Where was I going to go? Because one way or another, the time was going to come as to where I was going to have to be on my own. And if I didn't know the things that I needed to know, how was I going to be able to make it on my own? So I strided harder and harder and I did better and better in school because I needed to get at the right level so that I was able to be at the right speed to be able to take care of myself once I had to leave foster care and I stayed praying because I knew God from an early age I prayed for myself I prayed for my siblings and I always prayed that one day God would bring us all back together and I was just so blessed because one day God did bring us back together But yet I'm jumping the gun. I'm going to pull myself back. So yeah, being in a position where these different gentlemen, like I said, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, 
but the fifth one was the one that took the cake because everybody spoke to me and said negative things but this particular gentleman one day I was sleeping on my couch and I'm gonna I'm going ahead of myself but I'm gonna bring you guys back I was about 16 at this time and I remember this particular gentleman was the one that kept at me everybody else kind of once they see that I wasn't biting and I wasn't trying to allow them to be with me or lay with me this particular gentleman he would not let up he had a thing for me I was about 16 years old about 16 17 and it was right before I had left that foster family and I ended up going to another foster family but again let me bring you back um finally one night I ended up falling asleep on the couch downstairs and my wildest nightmare became a reality well one of my wildest nightmares I woke up and this particular man had his hands in my pants and I laid there for a second like oh my god what should I do what should I do because I was scared you know and at the same time I couldn't lay there and not do something so I had to do something so the next thing I opened my eyes and I pushed his hands out of my pants and I cursed and I was like what the hell are you doing and he was like oh you wasn't asleep and he started talking to me about I wasn't asleep and how I know I wanted it and stopped playing so I remember hitting him and I remember taking off and running upstairs so we had an upstairs downstairs house and I went in my room and I locked my door now I'm gonna take you back all the times before when people tried to say things to me I was able to handle myself but this particular time somebody put their hands on me so it was definitely a time to open up my mouth and tell because all the other times before I never said anything because I felt like it just wasn't necessary to bring that drama when they said something but they didn't try me as far as physical was concerned and I know that it was a lot going on there but what if I ended up somewhere else and it was worse what if I left there and then me and my sisters were more separated than we already were so I made a decision to stay from all the times before and not to say anything because I felt like as long as they didn't touch me or do anything then I would I was okay and anything I could do to keep me and my sisters together is something that I felt like I wanted to do or I needed to do or I had to do so after he did this, the very next day, I went and I told my foster mom, and she was livid. She was upset, and I felt like wanted and needed and loved because she was like, oh, no, he can't stay here. I can't believe he did something like that, and this was a family member that did this, and then I remember going to school that day and feeling good, like, yeah, he, he can't be around no more. They're going to kick him out, and he has to stay away from the house, and I remember coming back and I remember one of my cousins my foster family he told me he heard overheard someone speaking about me over the phone and basically said that I was at fault for what that grown man had did to me and that there's no way that they're going to stop their family from coming around because of the fact that I was doing something I had no business by wearing the clothes that I wore. Now, 
anybody that knows me knows that I was super tomboyish and very reserved about myself because I live in a house and there's a lot of men that come in and out and so I was very guarded about how I dressed and things like that the most you would get up out of me was a midriff and that would be with baggy jeans for the most part on so when I found that out I was instantly broken because I was violated and nobody done anything nobody did anything to protect me so I knew then that it was time to go from that situation. And I was already in the process of graduating. So I want to say a few months down the line, me and my sisters ended up getting taken out of that home after I had been there for eight years. And I was getting ready to emancipate. But my younger siblings not yet had been in that place. They were very much younger than myself. So I was getting ready to emancipate and they were still just in the situation. And then the hard part was they believed that my foster mom was actually their mom because when they came there, they were so small. So at the time, I just didn't tell them yet about us being in foster care. So their experience was definitely different from my experience because they were so much smaller. So the things that I endured they could never understand. Even if I explained it to them now, it's such a difference in our stories and what we experienced because of the fact that they were so much younger than myself. So then we were taking, taken from that foster home and I had the ability to emancipate, but because I had a responsibility to my sisters, I didn't talk to the social, I talked to the social workers and asked them, could I stay? And so they ended up placing me and my two smaller sisters in the same home. And then my sister that was under me, only a year and a half under me, she was placed in a friend's home because she wanted to be with a friend. And it happened, just so happened a friend of hers, mom was a foster mom. So she ended up going with them and she had a pretty decent uh, situation over there where me and my sisters went. When I thought things were bad, things got bad because this particular foster mom was all about the money. We we didn't even have the right kind of food to eat. She bought the meat that was at the store that was that would be like on sale because that day was the date that expired on the meats. She bought expired bread. The cheese that she bought didn't melt. She did not cook. I had to cook and I had to take care of my sisters. Then I was able to get a job. And I worked at McDonald's and I I was able to make my own money. And I remember she had to give me an allowance. I remember her not wanting to give me my allowance. And I had to let her know, like, check this out. I don't care if I have a job or not. The system has set that up for me to have that allowance. I need what's mine. So I would go and I would buy snacks for my sisters and I would hide them in my room and at night, I would go and I would take the snacks out and I would bring my sisters in and I would let them eat whatever they wanted. I explained to them about being in foster care and about their foster mom, our foster mom, not being their real mom. And it really broke them. They were very devastated because my sister, the oldest one, she was only about nine years old. And I think my other sister might have been like seven or they might have been like 10 and not, 10 and seven or nine and six I can't remember the exact ages but they were pretty young when this situation happened so it was hard for me 
to try to get them to understand that this wasn't their real mother that we just had left from and we had was foster kids the whole time so imagine me at 17 years old trying to get my sisters to understand something that I truly didn't even understand how to give them understanding because I didn't really understand it myself I knew what it was but it was hard for me to explain because I never had to explain it to anyone else because I kept it a secret because again I felt like it was a curse or it was a bad thing or almost like a disease that you couldn't get rid of so I didn't never explain it to anyone and so the next thing we're in this home negative things start to happen this woman started to treat me really, really ne- negative. Her grandson was really nasty to my sisters. I remember one time my sister came in the house for being outside playing with the kids in the neighborhood, and she was devastated, crying. And she said to me, "Sister, those kids outside, or or our foster mom's grandson said that they buy and sell foster kids." So she was devastated because what she was told from the foster uh, mother's grandson was that they buy and they sell foster kids. So he was telling the other kids in the neighborhood that my sisters were bought because they were foster kids. Cause that's something that he heard. So I just explained to them that that, 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 that wasn't the case and tried to comfort them the best of my ability. But I knew my time was running short on being in that place. So I tried to give them as much knowledge as I could and to teach them how to take care of each other and to look out for each other. And the oldest one, I think she, like I said, she might've been like nine or so. I She knew how to do hair. I taught her at an early age, about three years old. She knew how to French braid. That's how good she was. She could dance. She was really equipped. She was a very smart little girl. So I tried to give her everything that I knew in a short period of time so that she could take care of my other sister because I knew that I wasn't going to be in that situation long because... I was in an emancipation program and I was getting ready to go into my own place. So I was trying to give them all the knowledge I could give them before I had left. So nevertheless, I ended up leaving that place earlier than I thought I would. But backtrack, I got to tell this story, which is kind of funny, kind of give you more of a laughter than like everybody can just breathe real quick. I remember the foster mom had did something mean to my sister's. And my little sisters used to watch a lot of movies and cartoons and things like that. And you know how sometimes kids can be, they'll be doing tricks and things like that. Well, one of the movies my kid, my sisters had seen, and I said my kids because I'm quick to call them my kids because they're not just my siblings to me in my heart. They're my children at the same time because before they would go to my mom or my dad, before we went to the system, they would come to me. So all of my siblings have looked up to me and they look at me not just as their sister but as a second mom, to a certain degree. My, one of my brothers made a song, and he called me Sister Mom. So nevertheless, I'm going to bring you back to speed. So this lady had did something, and I was at work. So my sisters had set a trap for her. And they had put this cord in front of the door and tied it up on each side of the wall. I had it like in the, somehow tied up to the bedpost or whatever. And she came in, and she fell and she fell hard and she was the older lady and I remember being in my room and I was so tickled in my soul but I didn't want to laugh because I didn't want her to know that I knew what was going on and I'm not saying that this is cool but I'm just saying that 
sometimes things happen and revenge is the mother and she was being really nasty and mean to my sisters and they made a trap for her and she came in that room and she fell and honey when I went in that room and I got them and I brought them in my room we laughed so hard we laughed so hard because she had she had an evil streak in her that just would not wait so nevertheless I ended up having to leave one day I came from work and my bags was packed and she told me I had to go because I had called the social workers and told the social worker she was beating on the kids. And at this time, she had me and my two sisters, and she just got these three little white kids that was staying with us. Well, come to find out, she blamed me. But the whole time, the white girl was about like 14. She ended up hitting one of the white kids. And the white older girl that was 14 years old told the social workers, she kicked me out, believing it was me. And the whole time it was the kids that she still had left in the house. So my sisters was there for a minute. But they ended up taking all of the kids out of her home. And then my sisters ended up going to live with some Hispanic. And then they had it hard with the Hispanics. By this time, I'm emancipated. I'm in my own spot. Um, I ended up getting pregnant with my first son. Um, I had visitation with my sisters. I would get them. I would buy them clothes. I would buy them snacks. I would do their hair. And I would tell my, the older one to comb her and the other one's hair because she knew what she was doing. Because the Hispanics didn't know how to comb their hair. I mean, they looked terrible. And I didn't understand how the social worker, which I had talked to her, why would she place them in an Hispanic home? The people can barely speak Spanish, excuse me, barely speak English. I mean, barely, barely speak English. And this was the home that she placed my sisters in. And they couldn't do the black hair. So my sisters learned Spanish being at home because the family did not speak English. So I took it upon myself to make sure that I have visits with my sisters and I would take them snacks and I would make sure I bought them little outfits and I would try to do their hair to make sure that they were okay. You know, as okay as they that they as okay as they could be with the situation that they were in. And then I had my first son. And then after I had my first son, I got pregnant shortly after with my second son. And by the time I was pregnant with my second son, at about six months, I got a call from the social workers about my brothers and the foster mom that they were with and she was having some problems with them and they were getting older and she was sick with lupus so then they ended up making it away and this is something that I always prayed for and they gave me custody of my brothers one which was 16 one which was excuse me 17 and the other that which was 16 and I was only 20 years old turning 21 that year with a baby pregnant with another one in a one-bedroom apartment and they gave custody of my brothers and I was blessed and I was excited and I was thankful and I was happy and then so I'm 20 years old getting ready to be 21 that year and I have a baby pregnant with a baby and then I have two siblings. And by this time, I'm single because I broke up with my boyfriend, my older two kids' father. Because we didn't see eye to eye and he was cheating and things like that. So, that was that. I'm going to give you guys more of the story. 
I'm going to come back and I'm going to finish. But there's so much that goes along with this. So at some point, I'm going to have to stop it and just sum it up. But I thank you guys for listening. I thank you guys for listening. I thank you guys for listening. Hope that my story has and will bless somebody. You guys have a great rest of the evening. Talk back to you guys soon.